Movie, movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. I hope you enjoyed that one, Garrett. That was a. Uh, I, I did enjoy. Did that we one. do that one before? Okay, I've, no, enough. I've not heard that one before. And um, so we have a, a very special guest with us for the uh, video edition of our show today. So uh, welcome to the show, the writer and director of the new film Adverse, Brian Metcalf. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, and thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Man. Thanks for uh, donating your time to us, and thanks for for hooking us up with the movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I guess we can just get right into it and talk about it. I I categorize this movie as a thriller in my head. Um, is would that be accurate to you, Brian? Oh, absolutely. I'd consider it a thriller, neo noir thriller, sort of drama combination of all that stuff. Comedy, romance, musical, whatever you want to do. Sure. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I think I, I missed the musical portion, yeah. but you're the filmmaker, not me. If there's <laughs> if there's a deleted scene you want to talk about uh, <laughs> with a musical number, like, please, uh, I'd be curious. Yeah, uh, if Mickey Rourke gives us the old razzle-dazzle, I feel like I yeah. need to see that. He does a little dance number and sing along, you know, right before they start shooting around. It jumps into, like, an Indian type of, uh, type of Bollywood-type film and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. Very good. Oh, man. Uh, Every movie should have a Bollywood dance number, if you ask me. I, that is just the best thing in the world. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Brian, I, I got like some pretty strong like Michael Mann vibes off of your movie and was very impressed with the like nighttime photography of, of L.A. Did you shoot your movie digitally? Uh, we shot it with the Red Gemini. Okay. And we were one of the first people ever to use that camera. It, and what it's known for is uh, for NASA, they use these cameras in space so they can get proper imagery and so forth. And we were going to use the, um, the other red, I'm trying to think of it, um, the red weapon. The, and okay. then um, red contacted us and said, hey, we just got these reds in, uh, the Gemini's in, do you want to use them? And we were like, yeah, we'd love to use them. And that's how we got those. Wow. Because uh, the the like the way you shot L.A., I, I feel like I've not quite seen L.A. shot like it was in this movie. And obviously I've seen L.A. Uh, shot in many, many, many movies. But like your movie doesn't have the shot of L.A. from up on the hill that everybody knows. It instead has these like kind of like medium like shots of the cityscape. It was and it was really beautiful. Like I was very impressed with how it looked. I feel like nighttime digital photography never quite looks right and this looked really really nice oh thank you well we definitely shot a lot of night scenes for the film and uh you know we i didn't want to show uh la as this beautiful gorgeous city i wanted to make it more the gritty dark um city that that i felt was a little bit more realistic not necessarily the the palm trees that you see and the people all all the rich and wealthy things i i tried to make it you know fit with the mood of the of the film and make it darker and grittier and stuff so yeah i think that's interesting too like I, i've not spent a lot of time in la like we're both in philadelphia and oh, one of the I... things about philadelphia is 
everybody has this one image of Philadelphia and they forget that Philadelphia is fucking huge. Right. You know, it goes all the way up to the Northeast. It goes all the way to the deep South, far West. It's huge. And everybody thinks of it as center city, little bit of South Philly, and that's it. And the little bit of time that I spent in LA, it's sort of the same thing. And now that's a much more spread out city as opposed to like a, a built upward civic center. But I was so, I, I was I was surprised at how much of the city I didn't have in my head as my buddy kind of drove me around. And I got a very similar Philly vibe where it was just, oh, LA, as I understand it, is just this tiny little portion of it. And it's actually this very big, broad place with, you know, kind of a just diverse structures, diverse look, everything's there. And I, I feel like Adverse really captured that. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I actually, uh, I think I told you guys I'm from Warren, Pennsylvania. Okay, and yeah, so, yeah. and I've been to Philadelphia many times. I used to go there every year for the Philadelphia Comic-Cons. Oh, uh, right on. Yeah. And so they were always, it was always really fun to hang out there and, and everything like that. But um, definitely wanted to show imagery in parts of LA that, that you did not see so much. So I'm, I'm glad it, hopefully it showed. Uh, even the, uh, like, I, I don't know, Dan, did you feel this way too? Even the bar that uh, Brian, I believe your character uh, is who is kind of the central character in this like back yes. room. <laughs> Dante uh, in the basement. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, that room reminded me of the Raven Lounge. Like it reminded me of a lot of kind of like second floor bars that are around uh, the city of Philadelphia. Uh, and I just I don't know. There was a, a sort of a very tangible quality about the spaces in your movie uh, that, that I was really impressed by. Oh, thank you. Well, that was shot in the Viper Room in the bottom floor. Okay. Oh, the legendary Viper Room. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, uh, for the role of Dante that I ended up playing, I tried to offer that role to three actors. Okay. And they, they all turned it down. Nobody wanted to play that role. Everyone felt, thought that that was such a, an evil, meaningless role that, that does nothing good and has no redeeming qualities and, and so forth. But I still felt it was a necessary character for the film. So I ultimately was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm out of time. I think, I think that was a necessary character yeah. because like to have it be just a direct conversation between our lead and Mickey Rourke's character, I feel like doesn't ring true to me. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's one level up. So of course there would be a go between guy. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, your, your movie also requires a, a, a sort of, there need to be truly like villainous elements throughout this movie. And I think that Mickey Rourke's character needs to exist somewhere uh in between that spectrum not not quite as far to the pure he's definitely like an evil character but like we need to have that that great scene with him towards the end of the movie where he talks about his diagnosis and stuff like we need to be able to sympathize with him in those moments uh, right and so and we need a we need a sort of another another villainous character to sort of be a purely like villainous character for uh uh, uh thomas nichols character to confront well, that was a, the funny thing is a lot of people actually said that to me is they were surprised they were expecting Mickey to be the just bad, bad character. And so a lot of people were surprised that he actually had a sympathetic side to him. He wasn't really as evil. And, and, and I, my, my whole thing is, is that if Dante had gotten into power or Jake, his number one, had gotten into power and they had stayed in power all those years and then they were diagnosed with cancer, they'd be in the same boat that Mickey was in. Mm -hmm back upon their lives and realizing what was I doing right and what was I doing wrong with it. So I, I, I felt that that was such an important scene to really flesh out and, and do and give Mickey the ability to really show that his acting chops to, to do that scene and stuff. So 
He was really excellent in it. I, I enjoyed his performance. And I, I wonder if you can speak a little bit just about the casting overall. Um, I saw some faces like between uh, uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas and Andrew Keegan. I was thrown back Dude. to the Tiger Beat days of my older sister's bedroom. <laughs> um, and but, then between, what's his name? Uh, Luke. Uh, well, either way, it was. Yes. And uh, you brought back Rookie of the Year and Little Big League for me. Yeah. They were the uh, the uh, Dante's Peak volcano of children's baseball movies that year. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just wonder if you can speak about who and how and why and all that fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, and this is the most um, varied cast that um, I really, really wanted a varied cast for Mo Walks of Life. Obviously, we have Mickey Rourke, who's this really seasoned pro actor who's been around since the 70s and 80s and who did movies like Diner and Angel Heart and... Uh, um, just all these great films and so forth. But then you have someone like, um, you know, Jake T. Austin from Wizards of Waverly Place. Yeah. And then you have um, Penelope Ann Miller, who was like the, you know, she was the it girl in the 80s and 90s. And she was in all those movies like Carlito's Way. Yeah. And, um, she was in The Relic, which is one of my Relic, favorite monster Relic, movies. I love that film, The Relic. I was just about to mention that. And I was talking to her a lot about that on set. Oh, right on. That movie. Um, and she was talking about like that movie has given her a huge, huge fan base that that's just out of the blue. People just love her for that film. That's so um, cool. But, you know, it, so I, what I wanted to do is I really wanted to put not only have these people in these roles, but also try to give them something slightly different. For example, Sean Astin is always known as the nice guy in movies. And so I thought, what if we make you a creep in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> if you <laughs> think I... If you don't think I clocked those topless women posters on yeah. his wall the moment he walked into his office, I was like, who has an office like this in 2021? This is insane. I, I will actually tell you a story about that. So in 20, 2016 or something like that, um, I actually had to get taken to this cab. I was taken on a cab to a cab station and I had to be dropped off to be replaced with another cab to take me home. And at and this was before like Lyft was huge yeah. over here in LA and everything like that. I, it was actually more like 2013, sorry. Um, but basically, when I got dropped off at this place and switched over to the other cab, I was in this office and this guy was a sleazy cab head or boss or whatever, and he had all these naked pictures up on his wall and everything <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh, I have to remember that. I'm going to use that someday. And everything like that, and I believe his name was like Frank or Frankie or something like that. So I'm of like, course, it was that in for this film <laughs> because you write what you know about to some degree. So yeah. again, every character is based off of somebody that I know, and the dialogue is based off of some things people say, and yeah. and everything like that. But uh, yeah, so so I it was just kind of a fun thing to make uh, Frankie a really sleazy guy, and there's actually yeah. um, a, a really extended scene that we had with his character that did not make the film that that I thought was really great where he's telling off his his um, nephew um, for for making a bunch of fuck ups and he's just yelling at him the entire time and everything like that. So I don't that's believe I've funny. ever seen Sean Astin yell at anybody. Oh, it's yeah. great. Even in a nice way. That's that's incredible. Is, the scene is phenomenal. It, it's just it just cracked us up. We could not stop laughing about it. He, he But he stole the show. But unfortunately, it just didn't fit with the tone of the film. And yeah. it was you know, is a great comic relief, but when we got the testing, it just took people right out of it. They went to laughing and then it's trying to get back into the serious swing of things. So we had to take it out, unfortunately. 
Okay. Um, but yeah, then we had Andrew Keegan. I've worked with Andrew Keegan before on uh, Living Among Us, my last film, which was a vampire film. Cool. And um, dude, and when he was when he popped up on screen, I rented <laughs> Camp Nowhere. I want it like a hundred times on VHS when I was a kid. And I don't think I've seen him since that movie. And when he popped up on screen, I was like, I just like his face brought back like a flood of memories. Like it was so straight. I was like, oh, I know this guy. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, my God, he's the star of this movie that I love from my childhood. It was great to see it. It was your movie was kind of fun in that way where like people kept popping up and I kept being, oh, my God, I'd like I'm delighted to see this person. I haven't seen them in years, you know. <laughs> No, I'm glad that you gave that experience. And hopefully, you know, obviously, again, Andrew Keegan, um, because he always has been more of a comedic or more of a, uh, you know, the type of roles he's played in, obviously. And so for this movie, I wanted, I told him, okay, I, I need you to be a complete, scary, really demented guy. He's actually probably the most evil character of all of them in this film. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, all right, he gets off on it. Yeah, he gets off on it. And so he did a lot of research on it. He yellowed his teeth. He did all wow. kinds of work. And he worked really hard to, for this role. I was really impressed with how hard he worked to do it. And stuff, so. yeah, he was I want to see him in more stuff. Yeah, Because I, I always just picture him as essentially a teenager. Because that's how he is cemented into my head. And seeing him as, you know, I, I, I would imagine I'm of a similar age to him. Seeing him as an adult man, I was just like, oh, he he looks like a different part now. There's a wealth of roles that could open up to him now that he's not shoehorned with being just like teen hunk guy. Right. And, and he was quite good in it. I, I would love to see him just pop up in more things. Yeah, no, I, I, I think he's phenomenal. And obviously we've talked about working together again in multiple films and stuff like that. So he's oh, right on. Great. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you know, what, what about your lead? What about Thomas yeah. Ian Nicholas? He was, huh? Yeah, no, Tom is great. He's my, so he and I have worked together on a number of films and he's, uh, he partnered up with me on this project. He also helped produce this film alongside with me. Um, I saw his name on it. And Tom, um, the one thing is, is so you're going to love this. And this is something that we always talk about is when we talk about producing this role, I didn't see Tom for the role of Ethan at all. I actually said to him when we were talking about this, I was thinking of different actors and going after different people. And Tom was like, well, I'd love to throw my, you know, name in the ring to play the role. And I said, Tom, I, I really just don't see you playing this type of role. I mean, no offense, but you've done these other type of films and this is a very serious, darker role and it's like a tough guy type thing and everything. Um, and then he came in one day and he was like all dressed differently and he had his hair slicked back and he like really was aggressive and this and that kind of stuff. And he really won me over and convinced me to play the, the part. And we And it also helped that we were doing table reads and he, there was no one else to read for that role so he would read it and over time I started to be like okay I'm starting to really get I'm starting to really get into it and so we were working on this thing and I said okay if you do this role you cannot be Thomas Nicholas from American Pie you can't be Thomas Nicholas from uh, Rookie of the Year any of these other type of films you have to be a completely different person so he prepped like a motherfucker on this I mean uh -huh. he um, he, so his strange accent, because a lot of people go, I don't get his accent. I don't understand where this comes from. He actually hung out with his friends who were cholos. Um, yeah. And he also worked, uh, hung out with some of his other friends um, who, in, in preparation for this role, and they had these unique, strange accents that were very, very much similar to what he does. So a lot of people don't understand that accent or didn't get where he got that from, but that's where that 
that came from. For so that. it's like it's meant to be like a character affectation, really. Yeah, it, and 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 again, everything about him was different. The way he walks, the way he talks, the way he looks, everything about it was was meant to be just. Uh, we we would have normal normal conversations and be like, okay, this is too much, Tom. You're not Tom anymore. You have to be Ethan yeah. now, like that. And he worked out like crazy too. Um, he he was working out a lot um, every day and just really doing what he could to get in shape and stuff. So um, you, you know, I think it, that's what kind of stuck out uh, about his performance the most for me. It was less in how he looked or how he sounded, but it was like the way he carried himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, he had like sort of a, a presence to him that that could you know, and I, I think as as fits the the tone of the film that could go from someone who's who's got a propensity towards violence and and anger but also kind of had that like softy element to him mm-hmm. and um but it just the way he carried himself was something that surprised me because when i read the plot synopsis of your movie and saw that he was the star i also could not picture that i was like i, I don't know if i can picture this but i think he, he suited it quite nicely in in uh you know in effect yeah i i, I was i think he pulled it off quite well actually and he, he got nominated for some actor awards for the roles oh, oh cool yeah he, uh the world fest he was actually opposite or competing with stellan skarsgård and some other people for the for the the award but he was up for best actor award for it right on that's cool and i do i mean i do think that's deserving like he he's very good in the movie he's certainly like very committed to this role and like Honestly, like the the places where I got really impressed with him was like the balcony scenes with the the neighbor girl, mm-hmm. where like to me that feels like the the place where if I was gonna recognize Thomas Ian Nichols, the actor that I'm familiar with from American Pie, it would mm-hmm. be in these scenes where he's meant to be like sweet on this girl, but yeah. like he's still like even in those scenes he's finding this way to be sweet on her in a way that feels true to this character as opposed to true to Thomas. And I, I was like, I was really impressed with that. Great. Yeah, no, that was, those, those were really nice, subtle moments. I thought that, that he did really nicely and worked out well. And, and there were necessary moments for the storyline because we had to see him go from a person who did, didn't really believe in killing, even though he was in a, doing, you know, crime sprees and stuff like that. And he, he had been in the jail system before, but, to see him go from from that to really just kind of losing it and just going off batshit crazy with his tire iron and everything like that. <laughs> yeah. We had, to, we had to see that, you know, progression for that, if you call it, so to speak, for it. So we had to see those softer moments as well. I kind of liked his uh, his relationship with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, a personal yeah. fave of mine. <laughs> I was very pleased when he showed up and even just for, I guess it was like two or three short scenes and sort of as a as an emotional anchor and just kind of a piece of uh, this is what it's like to be on the straight and narrow and have a steady base. I thought he he represented that uh, quite well. And he's just a face that I, I love to see. I, I love that guy. Yeah, no, Lou, Lou is the man. I mean, literally, he came well prepared and well rehearsed. And um, he, he just really knew his lines. He was nailing them every single time. And um he just pro yeah no he understood the character very well and he was like he was like i've never played a character quite like this before but i'm anxious to try it out and so that was one of the things that i was able to get my cast um in this film for is by giving them roles that they normally wouldn't play Mm -hmm. you know normally lose the type of guy who's either got a gun and he's going around shooting someone or 
something along those lines or a criminal or something. So for him to play like a, this this guy who's sort of like his parole officer and in that kind of way it, it it was and he was you know he's he's got a he's got a good heart at the end of the day and this and that kind of stuff it was just a very unique role for him to to try out and stuff so well to credit his performance if i had if i was in a situation where i had a parole officer and he was my parole officer i think i would have no problem staying on the straight and narrow because <laughs> i would be like i want to impress this guy i think he i think he cares yeah, and no. I know people that have POs and a lot of them get the sense that their PO does not care. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, I, I very much appreciated that he was one of the good guys. He, and one thing about him too is, I, um, so he, I made a whole backstory for his character that he himself was a troubled youth and all that type of stuff. But then he, he got himself on the straight and there and now he dedicates his life to helping other troubled youths out and everything like that. So. That definitely tracks. Yeah. Is that something you typically do when writing characters? Do you come up with, with backgrounds for them like that? Every time. I, oh, right on. Not seen, um, so we had some very, there were a lot of scenes that were cut from this movie. Uh, the first cut of the film was two and a half hours long. And um, so we cut it down by an hour almost. And there was a, a significant amount of scenes that unfortunately got cut. For example, even Jan's character, Jan and Kyle, who were played by Andrew Keegan and Luke Edwards. Um, we had a lot more backstory for them and how um, they were trying to eventually take over Caden's uh, position. And so is Jake. And so there's an internal power struggle going on and all this and that type of stuff that unfortunately we had to cut out. From the film. I mean, to credit the, the edit that you pulled there, it doesn't feel like an incomplete story as it is. It, it doesn't, I, I don't get the sense as you do with a lot of movies that have lost a ton of length from their original cut. Uh, sometimes you get a sense that there's like holes in there that you try and fill. I didn't really get that at all. Oh, great. Uh, so yeah, that's, although at the same time, like I would love to see more of those two characters together because they have such a great dynamic. Yeah. Just the idea of the one who like really gets off on it and the other one who's just like kind of in it for the friendship. Like, yeah. That's such a great little <laughs> dynamic. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it was what was so amazing is that um, so Luke Edwards, um, obviously, he speaks with a stutter and has this kind of weird. He was being all weird and strange. And so one of the people asked him on set, is he like, OK, or is he special or anything like that about Luke Edwards? But then when you yell cut and he comes over afterwards, he'd be like, oh, hey, how's it going? And stand up straight. <laughs> And be like, oh, he's acting. And the same with Mickey. So one of the people or one of the things people said is, is Mickey okay? Because he sort of had this sort of mumble to him and he was always like hunched over and leaning and using a cane. But after he legit he, looks like he's in pain. No, he he is perfectly fine. He the guy's got a six pack. The guy is like straight, he can talk normal. Um, he actually what was amazing is so what what drew him to the role specifically is that his brother died of cancer. And so a lot of the stuff of what he was talking about and everything like that was the stuff he had dealt with with his brother. And his brother started talking in these sort of mumbles and and in these sort of like, you couldn't completely understand him half the time and he would hunch down and was always in this type of pain and, and everything like that and taking the medications and everything. So that was really true from the heart for Mickey. I mean, he really felt that role and stuff. It really, it really touched him. Um, personally and you could tell because uh he would get so into the character that you would almost see like tears coming from his eyes and everything like that that's incredible love hearing that yeah i do too actually because i gotta tell you i did spend a lot of the early movie being like literally uncomfortable from his performance 
because I couldn't tell how much I was maybe watching Mickey Rourke fall apart on screen versus like act, you know? Um, but when he get when you give him the big, you know, he has that great scene towards the end uh, in the diner uh, mm-hmm. where he talks about his diagnosis and it becomes clear that like, oh, this is like a choice that he's making as a performer, you know, like all of that comes into focus in that scene. Uh, and I almost think it like it makes it more powerful that for a little while, like as an audience member, I was like, on the edge of my seat about whether he was okay. Do you know what I mean? Like it, right, it right. kind of adds to that experience in some way. Oh, he's perfectly fine. I mean, literally um, a lot of people asked if he was okay. And then at the end of the day, when you yell cut, he would stand straight up and he yeah. would walk out and he'd be talking normally and he was perfectly fine. I mean, yeah. again, dude's got a six pack <laughs> yeah. so he, and, and, and he's like built as hell. I mean, he is really, really built and, 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 and in shape. And, um, I'll tell you this, when he is slapping me across the face yeah. um, in those scenes earlier on. What an uh, honor. Those, those were real. Those were, not, <laughs> those were not fake. And the idiot that I was, I was like, let's go again. Let's go again. And um, yeah, no, he really, he really went at it. And, and I told him to do it. I was like, do it. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and, and, but that was, and that was the very, very first scene we did together. When he came on, he showed up at the Viper Room and that was the very first thing we did together. And uh, we just bonded after that scene and we got along uh, uh, very, very well and everything like that. Probably because he got his aggression out, taking it out on him already. At the <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he's got himself quite a, uh, quite a slap and everything like that. He just I goes. So it's got those hands. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he, he could like palm a globe. He can. He, he was like, <laughs> bam. And I was, I was like, yeah, I felt that one. And I get, I like, was like, that's oh, a wrap on picture shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm having to look at the coverage with like an ice pack, looking at it going, <laughs> going, Oh fuck, we need to get that again. The coverage isn't good enough. And, and so we get it again. And he did that multiple ways and multiple, you know, places and stuff. So I got slapped a good 15, 15, 20 times. Very few people have walked away from 15 Mickey Rourke slaps. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I no. have a friend that worked with him when they shot portions of The Wrestler here in Philly. Oh. And he said this to me, and I never believed him. But if you can confirm it, and I have two people saying this about Mickey Rourke, I will believe it. Okay. He said that Mickey Rourke, unbelievably, was kind of a goofball to hang out with. A goofball. He said he was like surprisingly funny and light well, to hang with. He had a, he and I never, very- never believed him. I, he was a very good person to hang out with. I mean, if you're on his good side in particular, too, he and I had a lot of good times together. We told a lot of great jokes together. Um, he would tell me about some of the really crazy shit that he dealt with when he was mm. younger. He was like, yeah, when I was a kid or whatever, I was using this gun and it got stuck. And after that, I said, no fucking way. I'm using a six shooter from now on. And <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. So, I mean. I, I can pretty much confirm that he was he was a, he was a lot of fun and he had some really great stories to tell and you know he 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 wasn't all serious the whole time and everything like that but when you yeah. start when you call action man he really got into it and 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 That's just seeing awesome. him prepare seeing him prepare like we'd be, he'd be like what scene is next and I'd be telling him oh this is the big scene in the diner with it's emotional and you'd see him walk off and he'd like move his shoulders and he'd be like huh. Cool. And he'd really, really get into it, and he'd be like, "All right, I'm in." And then he'd go <laughs> That's and so he'd cool. right into it and stuff. So he was great, though. He was he was phenomenal. That's that pleases cool. me to hear. That's two yeah. for two. So I will I will believe it. Yes. Want to hang out with this guy now? Yeah. Go to the shooting cool. range with him. 
he's pretty cool and he definitely knows how to shoot a gun for sure <laughs> i'm sure he, he's got a lot of guns he's got a lot of guns so that does not surprise me in the slightest yeah very very cool absolutely so yeah no, no they were it was it was a really fun experience just working with all of these actors and a lot of these people too i grew up watching them too so it was kind of like oh like i had to keep my fanboy self yeah. and everything like that while doing that and stuff that's one yeah. of my biggest fears about ever making a movie is that if i'm ever lucky enough to work with somebody who i was like a fan of i would completely blow any sort of directorial authority because i would just be like can you please do this oh please do this for me i'll say action you can just please you know, i would be that guy the whole time so so one of the funny things was um I un unintentionally, because I just wear t-shirts or whatever I, I do on set and I don't pay attention to what I'm wearing. I was wearing a Constantine t-shirt on the day that Matt Ryan shows up and he played the role of Constantine. Yes. And I didn't even think about it. I really didn't even think about it. So I so he sees me and he's like, ah, nice shirt. And I'm like, oh, and, and, and I think he thought I did that for him to like fanboy out for him. But I just basically just put on a regular black shirt and or just, you know, picked <laughs> up the next shirt and got on the set as quickly as I could. And then realized that for the first day on set, I'm doing the Constantine shirt. And, and half the people are like, yeah, way to kiss up to him and this and that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> like, I swear it was just on the top of the pile. <laughs> That's exactly. funny. Uh and you said you've worked with uh, uh, Thomas Nichols before. Uh, so do you guys have like a relationship going back? Well, we worked back. So I was hired to help out on his film, um, do, do visual effects and to do um, art direction and sort of storyboards for an earlier film he did called LADJ. Okay. And um, after that, the two of us just started working together and we built a good friendship and we just got along pretty well. I mean... Um, and so we started working on more films together and we did a film called Lost Tree and then we did uh, Living Among Us and now we did this film. So, so we've sort of had this great working relationship. Um, and that's something that, that you find a lot of directors tend to do is that they like to work with a lot of the same actors because they know what they're going to get from them mm. and they build a friendship with them and stuff like that. And it's easier to go to them and talk to them than their agents and managers <laughs> and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, Tom and I have just worked together really well for a long time and I've gotten to work with, um, you know, Andrew Keegan again, we, we worked together multiple times and um, other casts. So you, that's what you do. It's not even just cast, but crew is, is that if you like people that you work with, you just add them onto your pile and add on more and more people and, and right. work over and over again, hopefully never the same type of role though. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Yeah. The um the score to this movie. Oh yeah. How did that come together? So the score was done by a guy by the name of Alex Karlamov. And what he did was he was actually one of uh Hans Zimmer's proteges. And he worked with Hans on a lot of movies. He he did the, the soundtrack for Salt with Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. He did the soundtrack or he worked on uh Fantastic Beasts, um the most recent one. He worked on The Dark Knight in Batman Begins and, and The Dark Knight Returns. He did all those types of films and stuff like that. Um, very accomplished um, composer. And what he's able to do with the score is he's able to give it, I, I thought he did a good job with the score um, personally. Um, he, he tends to go for these very dramatic types of tones and everything like that. Um, and at the same time, he can give it these very nice, um, 
touches of subtleties and, and stuff like that. So um, oh, I, I thought the score was great. It, I, I think it like the movie hums along with that, like really nice score that just like kind of keeps it moving. I think like I, I was pretty impressed. I liked the score a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, scores can often err on the side of sounding busy mm-hmm. and then they overtake what's on screen. And this didn't sound busy. I think it, you know, suits the flow. Yeah. Well, the one scene in particular that I really loved that I had to actually have the score take over the entire thing was when um, Tom's character goes batshit crazy with the tire iron. Mm-hmm. Obviously from there, because we were having it with hits and having it with all the sound effects. And then at some point is like, let's drown out the sound effects and let's just have the score take over mm-hmm. for, for, that, for that bit and stuff like that, since it's sort of his fall from grace into going into the, his descent into madness, if you want to call it that way. Was that kind of, I mean, how difficult is it to put together a big shot like that? I mean, that, that's a that's a nice long take with quite a bit of action in it. Um, that it, it appears to me that Thomas is doing himself as well, you know? Yeah, it, it, yeah Tom did all the stunts for, for it himself. Um, basically for that scene, that was a lot of preparation. We spent the first half of the day, part of the day, just rehearsing it over and over and over again. Um, before we even sh- shot it, we just rehearse, 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 and follow along until we think we've got it. And then we did about 13 takes of it. Wow. Um, and it was take like number seven that was ultimately the best uh, take of it. And then we still had to finagle it a lot to get it to, to work properly and, and stuff like that. But um, it was it was quite an undertaking. But it, it the reason why I did that was because um, in the script, because I have him going around killing all these people in the, in, in the warehouse, um, I, it, it would just seem rep- repetitive of him going, you know, cut, go to the one room, cut, go to the next room, cut, go to the next room. It would start to get boring at that, you know, at that point and stuff like that. So I really wanted to just have this seamless motion of going from room to room to room to room and yeah. stuff like that to finish it off. Yeah, that keeps you like holding the breath. And I love... I love anytime a movie does that thing where when the hit goes to connect and the camera rocks with it, you get that little boom, boom, boom. Every time that happens, my gut like just, ooh, 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 I, like I feel it in my chest a little. Yeah. And uh, that happened more than a few times. And so by the end, I was just like, break his fucking face. Was, yeah, it was, it was good times. So it's a great success there. Oh, cool, cool. It's, it's, it's sort of my hidden anger rage of of um because actually so i don't know if i told you guys or if you guys knew this but the story is somewhat based off of a true story to some degree obviously no one was killed no one was injured or anything like that um but I, it was based off of a of a thing where i had had an ex-girlfriend who ended up getting herself um uh, she ended up connecting with this group of guys that were all drug addicts and problematic people and so basically when she got herself hooked onto that kind of stuff and you know she's over 18 so there's only so you can't do anything about it your parents can't do anything about it and stuff like that and so she just ended up becoming a druggie like the rest of them and we eventually had to part ways because she just got herself into that whole situation and the guys she was with or all the people she was around they were all really just these creepy sleazy guys and, and everything like that and it was amazing that she couldn't see it and she just wanted to be around these people and stuff like that um but eventually yeah she became just like that and we had to part ways and stuff and it was it was really hard to see her go from being what i consider more normal to becoming a drug addict and just giving up on all her her ambitions and everything like that and stuff so 
Um, and so you think of the people who are these drug addicts and be like, God, all these people who are doing all these things and are getting people on drugs and um, how they're affecting all these people um, and, you know, selling to children and other things like that. And, and, and just the problems that they're causing and stuff like that. Like if a person wants to do it themselves, that's fine. But if, you know, they're starting to sell it and get it around and just try to do that in certain ways and it, it becomes sort of more of a problem in, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Agreed. That's uh that's heavy. And I, you know, the, there's clearly like a, uh, like an editorial standpoint here. Like you can feel that anger. And so that you actually answered the next question that I was going to ask by telling that story was what the, <laughs> the impetus was. Cause yeah, you can feel that anger there. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's an anger that I think most people would, would be justified in feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there are also people who, um, you know, Mickey Rourke is based off of a friend of mine as well. Um, and not a drug, not a drug dealer in that sense, but someone who has made a lot of bad decisions in their life and, and they ended up getting stage four cancer. And, um, then they were looking back going, God, I, I really shouldn't have done this and this and that. And, um, you know, it's just kind of an eye opener. So a lot of these characters, again, are based off of real people. And a lot of the dialogue that is said in the movie, as awkward as some of it sounds or whatever, whatnot, a lot of it is very uh, real from from what people have said to me. And stuff, so. That's wild. I find that that often happens if I talk to a filmmaker and I'll, I'll find like a piece of dialogue to be like cheesy or something. They'll be like, no, that was real. Someone said that. And it's always the stuff that sounds... But I guess, you know, when you think about it, cinematic language, the way people talk on screen is typically different than we do in real life. Right. And, and so, yeah, that that definitely tracks. And I wouldn't say that I, I read any of the dialogue as cheesy, but that's a sentiment that I've I've and many writers that I've spoken to have shared that sentiment where they go, no, no, no. You would think that that is the thing I made up. But actually, that thing is, you know, you couldn't make it up. Right. Right. And that's the thing is, is that. Um... It's, it, truth is stranger than fiction. And um, a lot of times, especially if you're writing, um, there, there are just certain things that I had to say, regardless of how it sounded on, on camera or whatever, whatnot, I had to say it for film because it, it actually was somebody really saying something like that and it stuck with me. But yeah, every, every character in this film is based off of somebody that I knew or somebody that I based off of. And you write what you know, you know, write, write characters that you know about. Don't write things that you don't know about and everything, in my opinion. That's how, that's what gives it its genuine quality to some degree. Uh, yeah. Just when I was looking into your bio and all, um, I saw that you are a member of the Rolling Stone Culture Council. Yes. And I'm very curious as to what that is and what that entails and, and just want to know what you can tell us about it. Um, so the Rolling Stone Culture Council is, is something based upon where they basically, um, we're, we put out these, I, I was working on this um, cyberbullying documentary um, as a way, or I, was, I came on board to the cyber documentary, and they had already put our, our team as the, you know, count, one of the council members, and basically we write an article, and it goes up on there, and it talks about you know, there, there are things to talk about, um, uh, things that are beneficial for society and helpful um, that that basically, whether it's anti-bullying or whether it's about um, how to better yourself and, and better your life and, and or, you know, things of influence, 
um, ways just in overall to become um, a better member and, uh, and, you know, feel good type of um, articles and stuff like that. So that's, that's what a part of this was for is it's all based upon a documentary that was being worked on and stuff about. Right on. So that's another topic of its own that I'm, I'm strongly against is, is cyberbullying and, and, um, and things along those lines. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so Brian, like what, uh, what are you working on? Like what, what, what's, <laughs> what's next? Like what, I mean, I assume you got you talking with Tom about putting another movie together. <laughs> Do you want to play another crazy character for you? Like, what's... <laughs> I'm working on several different projects. There's a, um, TV series called um, The Mage that I'm working on with a company called Emyali. Um, and I'm working on a, another crime drama with a company called Disrupting Influence. Um, and so we're working on that. We The script is finished for that. And we're just now starting to get into pre-production on that. And then I have another project that I'm working on with another group of producers called Assassin Study. And that's also sort of another crime drama film um, that's being worked on. I've got a comedy that's that I'm working on. Um, the Mage is actually a young adult um, fantasy. I've got a horror film that I'm I'm working on as well. So I'm just doing multiple different genres right now and stuff like that. Just trying to break out and do as much as I can. And I'm also working with uh, one of the producers from uh, Tangerine and the Florida Project on a new comedy drama as well. And so, yeah, those are the main projects I'm working on currently right now. That's cool, do you man. sleep? Yeah. <laughs> do I sleep? I try to. I only get about three to four hours of sleep typically a night. So, <sighs> Ooh. Yeah. so that's how you do four movies at the same time. Okay. All right. Yeah, right on. <laughs> well, you have to, um, as you know, um, as you probably know, this industry is the flakiest industry in the world. And what I yeah. mean is you have to throw a million things out and see what hits first. And you might be surprised at what hits first. Yeah. Um, actually, um, for Adverse, uh, I had another movie that was that I thought was going to happen and go into production. And so I was starting on this and, and I was like going, well, we can send this out to investors and stuff, but, but this is going to be my other main project. Well, that movie didn't happen and Adverse did happen. So it just, you just never know which project's going to hit next exactly. Yeah. And the financing can fall through, the actors can drop out, um, all kinds of different things. And actually, Mickey Rourke um, has approached me about doing a, uh, another project on an idea that he had and stuff as well. So that's pretty cool. Right on. Yeah. You got to keep us in the loop. Let us know because I want to check out whatever rises to the top there. Yeah. That's insane. I'm in, in like very early, early pre production of a film with one of my buddies. And he's like a guy who's got a hundred coals in the fire at all the time. I got this one. <laughs> I'm banking on it. And uh, I, I hope, I hope that it's the one, the one that takes off because I got no other ideas. So you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's the thing is, is that you never know. I mean, and you have to always push all your projects forward because no one's going to do it for you. Even if you have these companies attached, you have to be really aggressive to try to get your project out there and get it made and, do whatever you can to just get it into the limelight and stuff. So even if, you, you know, it could be self-promoting or it could be reaching out to film critics or it could be all kinds of other things. So, so yeah, there's a lot of things that you have to do to, to get your name out there and get your projects out there. Well, uh, one last uh, uh, thing that we're going to have you do uh, in, in, in part of being your own advocate here is tell, tell our listeners where they can find your film. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, 
Adverse can be found everywhere. Um, you can see it in uh, on Fandango now, um, Amazon Prime, um, iTunes. Um, you can buy it in Walmart, Target, Best Buy. Um, you can you can rent it at the last Blockbuster. Um, oh, right on. Hang on that. So I, I I got sent the video on that. It was the coolest thing in the world to to see that it got into the last Blockbuster. Um, so. Yeah, no, it, it was pretty exciting about that. Um, it's 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 everywhere, man. So you just gotta just gotta look for it and and all that stuff. Right on, That's right on. Well, listeners, definitely check it out. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, well, thank you for having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. Oh yeah, yeah thanks man. for reaching out and finding us. That's uh, that's always cool to to be found in some type of way. Well, I've actually read your reviews a lot, so oh, thank oh, you so thanks, much. Man. So yeah, I, I was actually just reading the Oxygen review just most recently. Oh man, that movie's so much fun. Yeah, Aha's <laughs> uh-huh, new movie, Dan. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on Netflix now. Okay, uh, cool. Definitely recommend. It's very cool. I have to watch it. I, I have that on my wish uh, wish list to watch. So. Right on. Oh, well, thanks for reading. I, I always, whenever I publish a review, I'm like, okay, well, the three people who read this will enjoy it. And then I find out like four or five people read it. It's like, whew, oh man. I, I, on. I think you're reaching a lot larger audience than, than, than you would take credit for, than you're giving yourself credit for. That's actually why I said you have to write a review for us for Adverse. I will do that. I definitely will. Cool, cool. I do plan to. So yeah, check it out in the, in the coming days. You'll, you'll find it. Woohoo! Thank you guys so much. Yeah, of course. And Brian, we'll we'll put this episode on YouTube and into our uh, podcast feed as long as that's all right with you. Absolutely. Do whatever you want to do with it. You know, throw it around, use it as wallpaper. It doesn't matter. It's all good. Um, I was going to ask you guys a couple questions real quickly. Just oh, off sure. the, the record. Just I was curious what your favorite films are. Oh, like uh, like in the in the grand scheme of things, Just anything, any genre. Yeah. Uh, I have a uh, I have a ghost trap tattooed onto my arm here, so uh, Ghostbusters has kind of been yes, my long time. time. Yeah, yeah. You guys excited for the new one? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I am actually. You know, I, I'm I'm very. I feel like every time I watch, uh, oh, what's his name now, Jason Reitman, talk about it, and he seems so sweet about his dad and his dad's legacy, and so I, I'm just I'm very I'm, I'm interested in what he's kind of gonna do as it with it being a weird legacy kind of thing, you know. I heard it's the closest sequel to the first one. Okay. Uh, I'm into it. Uh, more well, the way I see it. I've just never seen a Ghostbusters movie that was bad. Yeah, right. I've liked I'm, them all so far. So it's like, you know, let's keep rolling with it. You know, I, I'm into it. I'm in that all, boat too. All, was it three of them? They've, they've yeah. all been pretty killer, if you ask me. So I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. Right on. I just, I like the property so much. It's like, so, I don't know. It allows for a lot of like fun comedic invention, I think. And yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, the imagination on it's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I've, that's why I've, I've, I've oh, seen it over a hundred times. Yeah, so, oh, right on. So I I know that movie in and out really well. I love that movie. So Dude, that's I'm, my favorite. I'm with you, man. That movie is like in my bones. I I can like recite scenes from it and stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> even the way it's he just like crazy to think that's been in the zeitgeist for literally my entire life, yeah. longer than my entire life, and it's still beloved and still popular and still new. That feels impossible for such a a uniquely strange property. Yeah. It is. It is. It's just. It just keeps on. You know. It, it keeps on getting out there and stuff like that. So that's why they keep making sequels of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's, oh, my favorite movie is Boogie Nights. I just oh, love that movie yes. so much. It is. That is like the moviest movie I've ever seen. 
you know, I love Boogie Nights. I hung out with Paul Thomas Anderson um, uh, <sighs> in the streets of Hollywood. I actually have a picture of the two of us hanging out together. That's um, so cool. On my Instagram. So he's just, yeah, no, he's a really cool guy. And we just chatted a bit about his character. He actually lives in the exact same area I live in LA, which is in Tarzana. So he right on. and I live in Tarzana and we were talking about film and all that kind of stuff. He's just a really cool dude. We were talking about um, why, uh, why, what's his name, uh, retired. Um, D-Day. And everything like that. So, yeah, but Boogie Nights was a really good movie, too. I, I actually think that that's his, his best movie that he's done yet. Um, I would agree. I, I, that is just, it's, it's a movie about movies, so already I'm into it. But I, I love the idea that it's this movie that it's dramatic, it's violent, it's romantic, it's, it's fun, it's funny as hell. And mm-hmm. it, it uses the shifting of film to VHS, you know, to do all that, to, to show just how industry changes and how the yes. changing of industry can change the people within it as well. And I just think it's so beautifully done. And the fact that he made that when he was like a decade younger than I am now, just blows my mind. It feels impossible. Right. It's just remarkable film. I, I love that movie more than I love many members of my family. You know, he he actually is a huge influence on my career, and he's done a lot of music videos too. If you ever take a look at a band called Haim, have you ever yeah. seen? Oh yeah, you know, he's done for them and stuff. So, um, oh, I've seen it all. I love that. He's probably my favorite living filmmaker. Nice. Hands down. Yeah. He's definitely one of my top ones as well. I but I have a lot of favorite filmmakers. So what can yeah. I uh-huh. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Cool. Well, we could talk uh film all day. I actually have to jump into a meeting now, but I just cool. wanted right to on. touch base and, and ask you guys your favorites just out of my own curiosity as well and stuff. So. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Well, I'll shoot you a link once uh probably sometime within the next week or so the adverse yeah. review will be published. I just gotta clean it up and send it into my editor. But I'll send you a link to it once it goes up. Awesome. And you'll see it there and on Rotten Tomatoes and such. Nice. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. And thank Dude, you yeah, absolutely. for talking to me. It was fun. Of yes, course, man. for uh, reaching out. And thanks for reading my shit. That is awesome. Thank you. No, it's yeah. good stuff. You know, I, I don't know if I told you this, um, but actually reading critic reviews is kind of a hobby of mine. <laughs> oh, right on. And so that's why I find some of these critics and everything like that. But I've always liked reading critic reviews on and their takes on films and and everything like that is just kind of a it's it's kind of a fascinating thing to do i don't know it's maybe because i'm a film lover too but yeah no i don't know why it's just fascination i actually said to myself if i was never going to go into film or doing that i would definitely choose film critic um, <laughs> to do that because it's it's just a cool in in a sense it's a really cool style of an, an art of its own and, and stuff like that oh yeah films and you have to be good at writing and you have to tell an interesting uh storylines that the reader understands about and stuff like that so it's, it's an art of its own and you can tell that it's art because there's no money in it yeah Not at all. exactly so. <laughs> exactly but but it's for the love of it it's for the love yes. of it and i and 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 so i you know again i i have a personal love towards reading film reviews and everything film-based and stuff like that so it's cool man it's, it's pretty cool so. yeah. right on so well, thanks all right. for your time, man. We really Thank appreciate you guys. it. No, and thanks for pretty... showing us the movie, by the way. That was like, yeah, very much absolutely. I'll, I'll, if I ever get around to it, I'll show you guys some outtakes or I'll send some links. Out oh, that'd be awesome. Cool. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll take right, care. Dude. Yeah. Sounds all good, right. man. See ya. Adios. Bye. Uh, Dan, we're still recording. We might as well just uh, take ourselves out. Yeah, that was, uh, that was Brian Metcalf. So thank you for that. As he said, you can check out adverse, uh, 
pretty much anywhere that you can find it. Yeah. Um, and you can find it just about anywhere. I recommend you checking it out. Uh, it's always great when a filmmaker talks about their process with us. So thank you for that. And also filmmakers that are out there, contact us because yeah. you too can have your face plastered writ large on this screen along uh, alongside ours. So, you yeah. know, you can, you can have it done. I mean, I hope Brian gets to make more movies just because I would like to see uh, Mr. Uh, Nichols and Keegan in more movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, have we decided what we're going to do? No, we haven't for, talked about it. You uh, want to make an on-air uh, uh, play? Well, I mean, there's a couple things we can do. Okay. okay. I, I, um, I did recently acquire a movie, one of my favorites, that... Uh, I, I had to get it on DVD because it's just impossible to get on Blu-ray, but it is on Amazon Prime called The Loved Ones. I don't know if that if oh. that speaks to you. It's the guy who made The Devil's Candy, Sean Byrne, and it's a really great, uh, uh, like hardcore dark comedy thriller. Um, Give me and one. It's, it's eighty-two sweet, sweet minutes long. Okay, I am familiar with this movie. I've not seen it yet. I think this is one that Tori would also like to watch. Let's do it. I suspect it. that you would love it. If you guys want to do it, and if she wants to hop in and chat with us about it too, by all means, that's always an option. Um, so there's that. And then I also just got the criterion of, uh, of uh, Memories of Murder, which is going to be the central thing of my true crime piece, which I promise is eventually oh. coming. Boy, so yeah. that's something too that that we could talk about but I really would like to watch that as well uh though i do I, is that one like on the criterion channel at all right now do we know um i mean i have an app for that um mm -hmm. but I, I think it's actually playing in a lot of places because i was like hemming and hawing over whether i should buy it because yeah. i hit the just watch and um it, it seemed to be streaming everywhere memories of murder is currently on hulu Okay, wow. All right, because that movie went from like not being really available at all, really, to like suddenly being very available. Yeah, it's very available, and it's like it's kind of in the zeitgeist because when it was made, the right. crime was unsolved, and yeah. it has recently been solved. Unless, but I mean, either of these is fine. I'm always going to be pushing pain and gain. I'm looking at my stack. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very into that. Well, I, I mean, I feel pretty strongly about one of those first two actually right now i'm i, I could go let's either do way the loved on ones all right let's it's, do it it's nice and tight that'll give me time to at least get some words down on my piece before yeah. we do any memories of murder idea. so we're not yeah. stepping on toes yeah. yeah let's do the loved ones so sure. listeners check out the loved ones um i believe it is currently on prime i'm going to look that up right now um oh my god you're gonna love it <laughs> it's so fucking great i've heard yes, a lot of good things about on this prime movie. video yeah, it's your classic, uh, you know, girl throws her own prom against the will of the guy uh, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but it's really darkly funny. It's very dark. It reminds me of like the French New Extremity kind of thing, but okay. it has that dark, I believe it's Australian. It has that dark Aussie humor, okay. um, cool. you know, that you get from things like uh, Wolf Creek and stuff like that. And the filmmaker, Sean Byrne, also did The Devil's Candy, which I highly highly recommend as well um that really is a good movie heavy metal movie that i'm looking forward to seeing i've not seen it Dude, yet. it's got ethan embry in it and he's great in it he plays like a dad which is weird because like he's dr nick papa giorgio <laughs> if uh you know as, as i know him you know he yes. was a kid and can't hardly wait and shit so yeah, yeah so okay so it's decided so listeners yes. the loved ones check that out it is a nice short watch and um yeah you're gonna want to wash your hands after it's pretty <laughs> awesome it's a horror movie, so it's, it's goopy and fun.
I'm into it. I'm into it. That sounds good. Um, well, let's uh, let's close up the show and plug all our stuff. You can find us everywhere right on the internet at I Like Two Movie. That's numeric two on uh, Facebook and Twitter. We're at I Like Two Movie at gmail.com. Send us an email. Tell us what you want us to watch and talk about. Um, and uh, you know, if you can connect us with any other uh, filmmakers like uh, Brian Metcalf, we'd lo- we'd love that too. Um, we love to talk to filmmakers. Um, and uh, you can find us on moviejohn.com. That's the Philadelphia John J A W N. We're part of their podcast network now. Yes, indeed. Movie John Podcast Network. So yeah, check out Movie John. There's a lot of good stuff going up there. Um, quite the staff of writers. It's been very cool to see just, there's, there's a ton of people. I know. It's wild. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's expanding. So yeah, check that out. Um, my profile review just went up as well as The Gin, which was a really fucking creepy movie. Cool and you should be seeing uh, Quiet Place Part 2 coming up soon. So I'll have some words on that. Um, and uh, oh, and I gotta say, you gotta check out Andy's countdown of Saw. Okay, leading up to a spiral piece, just because like I, I like the way Andy writes. And, yeah, me too. And shout out to uh, Alex Rudolph, his piece on um hardcore anime. Yeah, <laughs> fucking great. Very that funny. guy, that guy is so funny. Yeah, and you know what's sick is all that stuff as he's as he's like describing how gross it is. My sick brain, I was just like, you're just selling me on this. I gotta know. I, I, know. I gotta put it into my eyes, whether I love it or not. But um, yeah, so you can find me at Dan Scully on all the things, Letterboxd, all that fun stuff. Uh, you can check out moviejohn.com, findy.com. You can check out my other show, Hot Property. This week's episode was devoted entirely to reviewing rap snacks. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Um, that is, uh, I mean, that's one of those things where I, like, for a lot of my uh, young life, I was like, do these exist outside of Philadelphia? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I hadn't had them in ages, and the quality of both the packaging, the flavors, and the chips themselves have gone through the roof. I went back and got more wrap snacks today. Another Migos <laughs> flavor, because Migos always have a dab of ranch, because according to them, dabbing is a way of life. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, so any any flavor with a dab of ranch is uh, Migos, you know, okay. and any Cardi okay. B flavor is honey dripped. I'm not uh, going to uh, surmise what that's suggestive of. I'm sure uh-huh. you can do the work on that. But yeah, check out Hot Property. And then also, since Garrett won't do it, you should check out his show, Killer Bees. Yeah, check out Killer Bees. Uh, we <laughs> just put out an episode on uh, Meiko Kaji, uh, the woman who stars in Lady Snowblood and the Stray Cat Rock series and a bunch of movies. Uh, her movies are fucking awesome. Literally, you could choose any movie that that woman is in and you will be watching one of the best movies you've ever seen. She just nice. kicks ass and every movie she's in is great. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun on that. Episode. I haven't seen any. I'm going to have to check them out before I dive into the series. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Uh, actually, you would really dig the female prisoner scorpion movies, which are all on Dude. Shutter. Yeah, I've been, they've been sitting on my list ever since they popped up. And uh, yeah, I uh, I uh, have been meaning to check those out. Maybe I'll even do one of them tonight. I think you would definitely dig those. They're really fun. Uh, yeah, so check out my other podcast, Killer Bees, uh, Killer BS podcast over on the internet. And uh, I'm everywhere on the internet at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Follow me on Letterboxd, please. Oh, and we should also add Movie Movie is now on Spotify. So We are on Spotify, um, yes. Yeah, subscribe. So like and subscribe on Spotify as well. Yes. And that way you will never miss an opportunity for us to be right in your ears. That's right. That's right. Like yeah, the yin-yang feels, twins. Feels good to finally be on Spotify. Yeah. I feel uh, like a real boy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's close up. My name is Gareth Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. We all know that you like to movie movie because we we like like to, to movie. Movie. Dab, dab a ranch. Dab, dab, dab.